Do you invest in ETFs? Whether you're thinking, what in the world is an ETF? Or you're looking for the next opportunity to add to your portfolio. GlobalX has you covered. From big tech to bonds and bars of gold, GlobalX offers a wide range of exchange-traded funds. Go beyond ordinary with GlobalX ETFs. Visit globalxetfs.com.au. That's globalxetfs.com.au. I am so excited to tell you that InvestSmart and Intelligent Investor are long-term sponsors of this podcast. And here's something I want to tell you about. The Intelligent Investor Select Value Fund is a unique mix of global leaders and homegrown small caps poised for long-term growth. The portfolio manager is Nathan Bell, a talented investor you may have heard on the Rust Network multiple times. The Select Value Fund is designed for investors seeking international diversification and Aussie companies with superior financial metrics. You can invest today at intelligentinvestor.com.au slash IISV dash offer. That's intelligentinvestor.com.au slash IISV dash offer. Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. Drew Meredith, welcome to this Two Cents episode on the Australian Investors Podcast. Good to be here as always. Yeah, we were just chatting about um, a tailored suit that you may have purchased. Yes, it was an enjoyable experience at Houndstooth Tailors in Flinders Lane. Shout out to Houndstooth Tailors. And you also got a cap. (laughs) It's actually pretty cool. Yeah, cool cap. I'm not a cap guy yet, but... uh, Big H uh, logo on it. Yeah, cool. Embroidered. My first tailored suit. So, no, oh, your first tailored first suit. ever. Yep. Yeah, right. What's the process? Like, what do you do? You go in and they. I can't talk you through the whole process. So, <laughs> so they get the tape measure out and they put the pins in and all that stuff. Really, just a lot of measurements. Every every part of your body in measurements, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, and. <laughs> Apparently, the reward if it fits first time is a high five. And oh, really? Yeah, one fitting went in, fit perfectly. <laughs> the rig. <Yeah. laughs> okay, well, that's great. Enough about me. Um, I've actually had a fitted suits, a couple of them actually. Um, but I did it in Hoi An in Vietnam, just south of Da Nang. Yeah. It's With great. Beer in hand? <laughs> yeah, no. Not quite. They're serious. Like, it, they go in, they have people that have been to Hoi An will know what I'm talking about. It's the one with all the lanterns, if you yeah. ever see that at night. Uh, and they. They have hundreds, I'd say hundreds of stores that are just suit and fabric stores and all different colors and everything. You can p- pick whatever you want. It's incredible. You just go there on holiday, have a mojito, get, <laughs> get measured up, go back to your hotel, back the next day, it's done. Awesome. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. For those uh, uh, listening at home, he's wearing one right now. Yeah, no, I'm not. I've got just the rascal hoodie on. Uh, anyway, so what have you been working on? A lot. We had our gross symposium in... I think we talked about Sydney last week and Melbourne. Did you say growth or gross? Growth. <laughs> the symposium. I'm a little bit nasal today. Uh, that spring air is coming okay, through. So, no, no, it's <laughs> no air in the studio. So what what does that mean? Growth. So the we talk about four buckets of your portfolio, growth, defensive, and then the two alternatives. Growth is basically anything that isn't defensive. So yeah. shares, Aussie shares, global shares, uh, and then falls into the private equity, but property probably sitting in there as well. Hmm. So had some so had some guys talking about smaller companies, some about emerging markets, some about growth equity, some about value equities or value shares. Yeah. Super interesting. Cool. And how many people were there? Uh, we had about 85, 90 in the end. 
over a full okay. day. That's um, great. We had Michael Collo again, which was I missed the session last week. So he's an ex-quant trader or institutional investor that now specializes in artificial intelligence. And, oh, he's on yeah. talking about the GPD and all that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Sh- we should have him as a yeah, yeah. guest. Get so him in the studio. Basically Make took... Him sweat. <laughs> <laughs> he will outsmart us immediately. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't be hard. <laughs> uh, he took us through like a case of... I think it was had like a Goldman Sachs research report, 22 pages, and showed people how they could use chat GPT to one, analyze, to two, ask the author a question, to then draft an email to their clients, to draft a shortened email to clients in different tone of voice um, just the simple applications of chat GPT and the way it can not necessarily replace <laughs> all of us <laughs> but augment our work so it was a yeah, massive highlight of the session hmm. cool um, bad news for the investment bankers <laughs> so, uh, no but uh, I've actually seen a lot of those chat GPT automated articles showing up in the finance section of Google and all that I'm sure they're going to snap some of that out pretty quick. They need some work. Don't, uh, oh, like yeah. The language, in, you, you have to be able to, you almost need someone specifically to be able to talk to it. Mm. Um, yeah, because otherwise it, I mean, they, they it does a pretty good job. But yeah, I mean, uh, you know this. I think some people that listen to the podcast know this. But um, like I've automated articles for years. Like I've written algorithms that write all the articles themselves. Yeah, became a TV star out of that. TV star, yeah. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I just feel like it's like all of a sudden these big news outlets, like I was reading Market Watch the other day. It was just all ChatGPT articles. Yeah. So this is an automated article. I'm like, this shouldn't be in Google. Like I shouldn't be seeing this at the top of my news feed. This is not what I want. I want like a human's qualitative perspective on something. Do you really? I do. Like for, for companies. Like I an economist? Not so much, but maybe it was Andrew Derriman. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I would want, um, like I like still human written articles because I think that's the abstraction of data is what makes investing like great. Yep. As in, if you just focus on the numbers, you're not going to ever beat something like that, but you've never been able to beat Jim Simons and all them anyway. Yeah. So you may as well just focus on the qualitative stuff, which is so much harder to replicate. But anyway, that's, uh, we could do a whole episode on chat GPT. We could probably do... We could probably put our voice into something like ChatGPT and it would then do the podcast Replace for us. pretty quickly. <laughs> <laughs> but we're not going to do that. We are legit human beings. Don't worry about that. So what else is news? Uh, some interesting stuff in tech. I was just checking a, the Fin Review before I came uh, in market. Sorry. I was checking the Fin Review before we came online and Telstra's just hit its highest point since really? 2017. You own Telstra shares in the I do. client portfolios. Don't yes. You? I put them out on the Australian Finance Podcast. <laughs> Tough audience. Nervously. Was sweating. <laughs> Nervously. I did raise a few eyebrows. Kate. Early this was, year. <laughs> I don't know what Kate was doing, but she was. We were, it did raise four eyebrows. A few eyebrows. <laughs> eyebrows. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Telstra. Yeah. It's massive what, what, do you put, what do you put the success down to, Drew? Why is Telstra at a high? Well, usually Telstra outperforms when everything else is blowing up. So. Ah, the old yeah. bond proxy. Yeah. It's seen, yeah. As a, seen as a, you know, a quality. Yeah. Loosely defined oh, as quality. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah, seen as a quality stock or, or a safer stock because as much as the NBN had a problem for them, they they still got pretty consistent yeah. revenue and profit that comes through from their mobile division. So mm. people are turning to that and things like CSL and other healthcare companies as they kind of get nervous about what's happening in the economy or what's happening in the financial sector. Yeah, yeah, fair. Um, remember when they had like 150 phone plans? Yep. Oh, gosh. <laughs> 
who, which I know who it was, but which CEO oversaw that? Like, and where is he now? So common with businesses though, having so many different options and you never get rid of the old ones. Like yeah. you always just add more and yeah. then someone has to come in and cut it all. You get the two types of CEO, the expansion CEO, and then you get the, the cost cutting CEO. And then the expansion again. Yeah. This goes through a cycle in public markets. Anyway, interesting. There have been a lot of takeovers this week. Yeah. Uh, even this month. Like so many takeovers. And when I read your daily, it's like takeover. Takeover. Knock back. New takeover. <laughs> new bid. And I'm just like, oh. Material undervalues company. Yeah. Um, a lot of them, it's, I mean, I, I can't really find a rhyme or a reason, to be honest. It's a lot of resources companies. But I, I, I think. I don't, I, this is just my heuristic and my anecdotal like su- sample size of one type survey. But I often find that a lot of these acquisitions tend to happen when not just prices are like volatile, but also when the Australian dollar is low. Yeah, A lot of overseas buyers take interest in Australian because it's a stable democracy. And if the currency is low, it's an opportunity to get purchasing power. And it so, happens when everything goes X growth probably as well. Yeah. That people, the the issue of being an enlisted company is that shareholders always want growth. You can talk to any CEO or manager mm. and they have to keep delivering that growth. So one of the easiest ways to grow is just buy something else because your revenue automatically goes up. Yeah, you've got to deal with actually integrating it. But a lot of uh, a lot of companies will always seek growth through acquisitions. Yeah, that's true. Which is difficult and challenging. I mean, the you're probably referring to the Liontown one. Yeah. Which is a company, this is the one of the challenges of commodity companies, it's about to go from explorer to producer. Mm. And to do that, you need a massive amount of capital and that's where all the risk is. Mm. And Abamali is essentially trying to jump in and take over that. Um, yeah, it's ten- it tends to be quite common with those businesses. Did, speaking of um, corporate actions, like Scotch Refrigerated, you know, like the refrigeration truck and trailers. You haven't seen that? Yep. You've probably seen it on the freeway. Anyway, that's uh, by Anchorage Capital, I believe. So yep. PE company. Um, same one that floated Dick Smith, <laughs> as Steve Johnson would say, of forager funds, the greatest equity heist, private equity heist of all time. <laughs> what a fantastic article that was. Um, if you don't know the story, Dick Smith went from private markets to public markets, but in that time he got stripped, jacked up with debt, <laughs> hit the public markets, collapsed, I and remember. <laughs> eventually ended up with uh, Kogan, I think. I think Kogan bought it yeah. For like scrap that worked well too. <laughs> yeah, I remember buying a printer and getting worried I couldn't pick it up. Oh, what from like, Dick Smith? Yeah, <laughs> I remember buying some stuff from Dick Smith during the private equity days, and it was like twenty dollars for like one cable I could get from office, like a dollar, and I was like, "How is this business going to work?" Uh, anyway, so tangent. Um, <laughs> Lululemon. Massive fan of Lululemon. Oh, wrong one. <laughs> Yeah, tell me why. What, as in you wear it a lot? Wear it a lot. Fits really well. Uh, but uh, <laughs> not, the, not the topic of this podcast. Uh, they had an earnings report yesterday. So I there was that. a bit of worry. A lot of retailers in the last 12, 6 to 12 months were worried about massive increases in inventory. Mm. What happened to Kogan? Were they overbought and had heaps of stock? Yeah. Uh, they were worried about that for Lulu, but then it came out um, last night, I think it was. Uh, sales were in line with last year, which is pretty good given... You know, everyone's allowed out of their house now, so they're not wearing, you know, tights or <laughs> workout gear <laughs> as much. Wear. Yeah, active, active wear. Yeah. Um, uh, so sales were flat and the stock rocketed another 13, 14% up overnight. Yeah, right. Okay. Do you own shares? No, not in that. I should, given how much I buy, but um, 
Do you buy like it's Lululemon for men and for women? Yes, it is. Is it really? <laughs> I didn't know that. Is it legit? Yes. Huh. They have a lot of good stuff. Yeah, right. I'll just be wearing Puma over here. <laughs> and did you see Alibaba? Yeah, split in six. That's, yeah. what, that's the proposal, right? And Jack Ma's back. Yeah, really? That's yep. interesting. Um, yeah, because I saw a news article about this uh, Alibaba being the big tech stock uh, from China, basically su- suggesting that, well, maybe the US tech stocks could do this too. Yeah, good luck. I think it's a bit different in this environment that they operate in. Um, but if they do, this is always the thing. Like People are always scared about Google breaking off search from other businesses and Apple having to break up their app store and services business from their hardware. But you still get two pieces of the same business. And to be honest, sometimes those businesses that break off are better businesses that you want to own, like the services business from Apple. Even though it kind of needs the hardware, it's a fantastic business. And, and then if you cycle. start down that path, then you've got to break up Microsoft as well. Yeah. And, and then Google, you just get search and all the other stuff. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, yeah, where do you stop? Um, on Self Wealth Live this week, actually, actually, no, I should start with by saying that um, we launched a property podcast this week, Drew. Credit to you. Credit to you. <laughs> credit. Yeah. Well, credit credit goes to the actual, my co-host, Pete Wargent, Amy Lenardi, and Chris Bates. Uh, podcast made it to, I think that was the fourth position in business podcasts in Australia. How it took us. I know it did. It just went straight <laughs> past us. I just thought, oh, look, there's the Australian Investors Podcast and just went straight past that one. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. One hit wonder. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's gone straight back down. Uh, it's just a bit competitive rivalry. That's okay. Um, but no, that was great. So we've launched uh, the Australian Property Podcast. You can get that in your players. It's got like three of Australia's, I would say, they're definitely the most genuine and probably the most trustworthy property people um, that you can listen to. Uh, I'm talking about like residential and individual buyers and SMSFs and that should listen to the show. Uh, and you can ask questions. When you ask a question on this show, the Australian Investors Podcast, you will know that there's a type form where you fill in your question. But you can select any one of our channels, including the new property podcast. So if you do want to ask a question property related, Drew and I can answer it from a financial planning and investment, generally speaking, perspective. But if you want like someone to actually really take note of what you're doing with your an individual property, for example, go and lodge it over there. But um, I think the bigger thing that I had this week was um, I chat, I spoke to Todd Barlow, CEO of Washington H. Sol Pattinson. Excellent. Yeah. Um, that was really interesting because I'm just trying to get to the bottom of how do I categorize companies that are kind of like what I call anti-fragile companies, companies that are like, that stood the test of time and can stand the test of time going forward. And I just basically, I, I told people on Self Wealth Live this week that um, I didn't have a piece of paper when I was doing the remote recording. And so normally what happens in the podcast world, or at least for RAS, not so much for other podcasts, I should say, when I do a lot of research on my guests, I then send them talking points, maybe not always questions, but talking points. So they know kind of what's the flavor of the interview so they can prepare. And I find preparedness is often correlated with the quality of the interview. And uh, normally then I'd have like a sheet of paper or something sitting beside me so I can take notes. Uh, but in this instance, I forgot the piece of paper and I was chatting to Todd Barlow from Soulpats, And I ended up just having a pen and I just ended up writing all over my hand, down my fingers, <laughs> on my palms and writing all the notes because I didn't want to forget. Um, and then I summarized those notes. So I'll share them with you now. I tried to get to, I really wanted to understand why Todd thought Soulpats has been around for 100 years and has outperformed the market over 40 years. And he said that these things, and this is how I categorize them, uh, that the cross-shareholding with Brickworks 
is a huge structural advantage because having an aligned shareholder, they cross ownership of each other. Uh, but they've also got permanent capital in that respect, in that they're not a they're not a fund, they're not a major fund. They've just got it's like a listed investment company, and I'll get to that in a minute. But yep. but it's actually a holding company. Um, they go public, public and private. For those of you that know it, they make uncorrelated investments, but they can only do that because they have the permanent the capital, and, capital yeah. and the cross shareholding, and they can only do that because they have an owner's mindset. So like they actually care. I think that's one of the things that really strikes me every time I talk to them. Uh, this, the next thing is the legal structure. So they don't have to return capital again, compared to managed funds. They can hold on to the money. Like when they, I think it was like a coal mine, Bengala, maybe it was sold to maybe West farmers or someone else. I can't remember who, um, they held on to the cash for like three or four years and then deployed it. Yep. So that's just like a sign of like, there's no fund manager that could do it because legally what happens inside of a managed fund, just so everyone knows, uh, if there's a profit made, that profit has to be distributed. That's why they call it a distribution and not dividend. They distribute that back to the unit holders. So they're legally obliged to do that. Whereas a company doesn't have to. I mean, that owner's mindset's coming up pretty often in meetings now. Yeah. Where people assume it's to do with cost cutting yeah. and maximizing profit. But for most people, it's the ex- absolute opposite. Yeah, absolutely it is. It's like culture. It's all those things like long-term right. focus. Uh, finally, we've got, uh, they estimate that their fees are equivalent to 0.3% per year. And that's across unlisted and listed assets. Obviously, there are companies, so they're quite different to like an ETF or something like that. But it gives you an indication of how important it is for, to them to be frugal. Uh, and so, I mean, there's all of these things. That's kind of the moat. Um, but the thing that really struck me as interesting from this, and I don't own shares in myself, but I probably will buy some going forward and continue to own more. Because um, at the moment, the Solpats business is split across. Like they've obviously got their like their private equity. They've got what they call structured yield, which is what we talk about on the show, uh, like credit, um, private credit, those types of things, which Australians are now figuring out is a really interesting market. Uh, thanks to the banks pulling out. But um, then they've got like their listed equities, but then they've got whole, like ownership of whole companies. Yeah. Um, but what they said going forward is the P, the, the private equity is going to be the focus for them. More private companies earlier stage that they can grow and then list. So straight up, it's like Washington hates old patents into the power of private equity fund. Um, they're going to do more structured yield, so yep. more private debt because people are coming to them for funding especially now with the banks and high interest rates and whatever. Yep. Finally, and this is the thing that's really interesting. It won't move the needle at the revenue line, but this I think will move the needle at the profit line for Solpats going forward, which is they're basically going to take their internal expertise and have the managed funds around it. So um, I've been chatting to Will and Tom from Contact Asset Management, Tom Milner from T- Contact Asset Management recently, but basically they're saying we're going to do what we're already doing for the company's balance sheet, we're going to allow outside investors like SMSFs or individuals, pension funds, whatever, to invest in our portfolios, just like um, a lot of fund managers do. Uh, so that's a really exciting way for them to grow. And there's awesome. heaps of other things, but I'll, you can just listen to the episode or I can share my notes with you if you want them on Twitter. Um, okay, so we've got a bunch of questions that have been sent through, uh, Andrew. So <laughs> I, I, there's a lot actually. Uh, and we do take your questions if you do send them in on the RASC websites or even in the podcast player in front of you. 
you can just hit ask a question, fill in the form, select the Australian Investors Podcast. Obviously, we cannot give gen- we cannot give personalized financial advice. It's only general on this show. So if you do want personalized financial advice, please speak to a financial planner, like say Drew here from Model Partners, or your trusted advisor uh, before acting on this information. You can find our financial services guide on the RASC website, which lays out exactly what we can and can't do. Okay, the first question comes from Drew. Uh, I have two sons, both boys. <laughs> Me too. If you are... <laughs> this is... It's a good one. Okay. I think we've got a winner already. <laughs> if you are financial literate and don't mind the extra a bit of work going into understanding <laughs> how, how an ETF fund works. Financial literate, but... <laughs> What's the da- downside to DIY ETF fund? i.e. create your own ETF fund. The premise here is that you can save on the fees if you do the work on your own and also learn more about the market. Wait. <laughs> Wait, so... The, oh, as in they're building a portfolio. Yes, yeah. Can okay. you r- run your own... Make your own fund out of ETFs or make your own strategy out of ETFs. Okay, right. Yeah. Okay, so yes. 100% you can. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. But there are a few reasons why people wouldn't... It depends. It depends. That's what you're trying to say. Yes. So, okay. So, you can do it. Absolutely. We both do it. But w- why, why not? Yeah, there's so many products now. I've actually built a couple that had every possible ETF, not listing investment company, just ETFs. And you can go pretty granular. You can go, I want floating rate debt. I want junk bonds in the US. You can buy all of these things in an ETF now. Um, I, I think one of the big questions is what is your objective when you when you're using ETFs, you're always going to get an index return. And an index isn't necessarily great or efficient for every single market you're investing into. Mm. There's Some have concentration risk. The S&P 500 has something like you know 15% in two stocks. The Chinese or the, the Asian, Asian regions have like 30% in four stocks. Australia has 50% in two sectors. So it's never going to be 100% perfect. Mm. But while you're accumulating and adding to this, it is a reasonable option to one, learn about the market and two, have an exposure. Yeah, I would absolutely agree with that. Um, yeah, I would, I would agree with that. It's, uh, you, you can basically, if you, if, if you don't, if you don't kind of want to go down the path of building your own strategy and portfolio and learning about markets, you can pay someone or you can just get one of those diversified funds off the shelf. So there's basically like three options. You can go, Go get one of those diversified ETFs, which is super low cost. Fair enough. That's what you want to do. Um, two, uh, you can DIY and you can learn and you can listen to podcasts like this and you can get actively involved in your money. Three, you can see a financial planner who can completely do it for you and outsource everything to them. Um, so there are two that basically like where you kind of abdicate responsibility and it's, it comes back to your curiosity, your inclination, um, and basically your time. A lot of people get into investing around crucial times in their life, like early 20s, um, around the time they forge a, like a relationship, like a marriage or kids, because they think, I need to take this stuff seriously. Then they go into hibernation and they come out right before retirement. They're interested again. And then just after retirement, they're interested for about two or three years. Yeah. And then they go <laughs> into something else. Yeah. Yeah. I think they, yeah. You've got to make sure that if you're, if you're going to be in this and you're going to DIY, you make, maintain that habit. And things go wrong quickly. And that's why we... We'll use ETFs, but when we were investing for retirees, which is where most of our focus is, our aim is to reduce the volatility. And we use that. We combine passive or ETFs and active managers generally to do that or a more targeted approach. Essentially, because when you're in retirement, 
there's a higher risk that you make emotional decisions. And those decisions could be when the market's down 20% and you feel like you have to sell to protect your capital. So are there ways that you can blend an ETF where the market's falling 20 with something that falls less than that and help you make a better decision at that point? That's why we tend to blend both. It's more when you've got a finite pool of capital and you need to be a bit more diversified. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So that's a great question because a lot of people ask this question of us. It's like, well, why would I pay a financial advisor if I could do it myself? Why would I pay a fund manager if I could do it myself? Like, of course. Um, But we're not saying that it's a convenience tax. We're just saying that um, a lot, it just depends on different people's personality types, what they're interested in and so on and so forth. Um, so this guy asks, what low cost brokers can I use to invest in AMD uh, or Spotify? Uh, Drew said no idea in our notes. <laughs> you can use basically anything. Um, Pretty much everyone goes there. I mean, we use platforms for our clients that are hold fund stocks yeah. and global stocks, uh, but not any low cost brokers. So Spotify is on the New York Stock Exchange and the ticker symbol SPOT, which makes sense. Uh, AMD's, I think it's on the NASDAQ, isn't it? Yeah, um, yeah, NASDAQ AMD. So you can use our sponsor, which is Self Wealth on the show. Um, you can use Perla, you can use Comsec, you can use NAB, CMC Markets, which shouldn't mention them <laughs> after last week's rant um, you can use take that as an interactive brokers you can use literally anything um so U- us shares that is um but there is some tax and there are some you should always read the t's and c's before you get involved with a broker i think um and uh yeah you just, just focus on the established ones so uh i'm <laughs> <laughs> gonna read it out yeah you go for it gp Tea bag, <laughs> so which G- is a good question. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll, I can read it out if you like. Okay, so GPT bag says, given Microsoft's recent ten billion dollar investment into the Chat GPT maker, OpenAI. Yep. So if everyone doesn't know what Chat GPT is, I've done a full lesson in this yesterday. <laughs> it's a essentially a chat bot type of program uh, that is a language model that is great at researching and creating outcomes to do with language and words rather than numbers um, as you probably find out on LinkedIn. <laughs> so, Owen, would you consider Microsoft to be a reasonable investment if one wants exposure to chat GPT? Well, yeah, it's the only way you can get exposure <laughs> to it. But at the same time, but here's the thing. It's probably it's a dry question. <laughs> I don't think you like being questioned. No, no, I, I, no, yeah, no, I do like this. Um, yes is the answer, but no, because it's it's just like a trillion dollar company, right? Exactly. And you, you're going to put the thing is, they're the only one that has direct exposure to OpenAI. But if I'm not mistaken, Drew, the deal was not permanent equity. No. So meaning that they put the $10 billion to invest $10 billion to invest in OpenAI. But after a certain milestone, that actually, that actually gets lost again. Yeah. And the hands, all the equity goes back to OpenAI. And that's where the name OpenAI comes from effectively, is they want everything to be open um, and they don't want centralized control of the business. Exactly. Organization, you could say. I, I interviewed Nick Griffin yesterday oh, yeah. as part of the event. Yeah, cool. And I mean, this is kind of without being a proponent of active too much of active and passive, obviously. Uh, this is one of the reasons active management can be quite valuable. So Nick's a growth investor. Yeah, global investing, growth. Yeah, yeah. Investing growth stocks. And his presentation talked about the potential applications of chat GPT and further extensions of the model into businesses. So the potential is massive 
and there's a massive range of companies that will benefit from it. So I think Microsoft is way too big for this to have a major impact on on their, you know, they're already a trillion dollar or more than a trillion dollar company. Um, but what are the other companies within different sectors that are going to win significantly? So if banks are able, to, certain banks are able to leverage AI better than others, they'll be able to tell which loans are going to go bad before other loans and manage their balance sheet better or find areas where they need better funding. Um, and then the way Nick talked about it was uh, it comes a lot of it comes back to the arms race and how is how is ChatGPT and OpenAI being uh, powered mm. semiconductors? Yeah, semiconductors are powering everything. Yeah, but he he loves his ASML and Nvidia. Yeah, and Nvidia. He was saying the Nvidia has basically become the software and the hardware mm. for AI. Yeah, those two businesses right there. Even AMD, which was yeah. just mentioned, but not cheap. Yeah. So those are growth, high growth stocks. Um, those probably give you a more thematic exposure to the, the theme of um, generative AI. What I would say uh, is that I think this is a super interesting way, uh, I guess, expression of the idea of AI. It's the first real thing that has gone consumer land, but this type of thing has been around for quite some time. It's just, this is the first thing at scale that is really consumer friendly. So uh, GPT-4 has just come out, actually, a more advanced model. Um, yep. And BARD has been released from the first beta testing, or alpha testing, and went into beta testing, and now it's gone into the second stage. So BARD is Google's answer to OpenAI. And there are many others. There are many other language models that have been um, in use for a little while now, uh, and many other companies that are going to fly around with buzzwords saying that they are the next OpenAI. You probably... It, it's, a, it's obviously a wonderful tool and application. Uh, I would just say that it, one of, the, one of the, the ways to get exposure to really exciting early stage growth stocks is not to go all in on one. I think a lot of people make that mistake that they think that this one thing is going to be the winner. Uh, imagine if you got pets.com instead of Amazon during you know the dot-com boom. Um, there, are many, there are many different principles around this, but basically... To maximize your exposure to the companies that have the most leverage, you don't need to put a lot of money in. Yeah. So you can spread across, you spread your eggs across many different businesses. And if they are what you think they are, even one of them should pay for all the others. Yeah. And that's what, I, what I'd say. But yeah, there's a really interesting thing. We use Notion for a lot of our data. Um, and we can just hit spacebar in Notion, which is just, it's just like Microsoft Word. Uh, we can hit spacebar and let ChatGPT finish it. <laughs> It's incredible. So, like so, it's yeah. it's massive. That's why it should be of interest to everyone. Yeah, absolutely. That's, oh, it's going to touch every industry. I think we're going to run a masterclass on it. So oh, really? bring your computer, uh, and Michael will take through. This is the aim. Uh, we haven't confirmed him yet. But <laughs> yeah, I spoke Michael, to him about it yesterday. <laughs> uh, it was his idea, actually. I can't steal the idea. But showing financial advisors how they could apply it in their own businesses. Oh, so good. So Fallen Joker says, with the star's recent share price dive due to its laundering scandal. Does its expansion into Queensland with Brisbane, Australia's fastest growing city, represent an investing opportunity long term? Or is the fall of Sydney too much? True. Star being star entertainment, casino operator. I mean, personally, I just don't invest in gambling. We're, we're a B mm. corporation. We're pretty strict on environmental social governance. And mm. you think about social impact of gambling, whether you choose to gamble or not. But then you think about governance for this company where among the other casinos have all had 
illegal activity and money laundering <laughs> through their operations. Yeah. It just becomes hard to justify investing into. Um, and then how do you value that within a company? So there's so much legislation risk around them at the moment. Uh, and there always will be. You know, there's It's on that fine line where it attracts criminality, unfortunately, in gambling. Um, and just find it difficult to value and, and kind of justify it within portfolio. So probably not the answer. No, no, well, I've got a similarly um, uninspiring. No, yours is more inspiring than my answer. My answer is like, um, I don't, yeah, I don't follow this casino business as closely enough. Yeah. Um, once upon a time, I did. Yeah, once upon a time, I used to follow Crown and got in Malco and all that sort of stuff, and no, nah, not anymore. But one of the things to keep in mind, right, is that um, we had something similar happen the other day where Block, you know, Block uh, slash Square slash Afterpay. Uh, there was a short seller report that came out and said fraud uh, and anti-money money laundering and all this sort of stuff. If you play in the sandbox of money and cash, you're going to have claims of money laundering. Yeah, You're going to have all of these things. And it's important that you remember that sometimes you just got to roll with the punches if you're involved in these types of businesses. The key risk is that Australia is... I, I think the key risk is that Australia is slowly waking up to a lot of these casino licenses and also the game gambling. I think there's still a lot of obviously conflict of interest in parliament around gambling lobby groups, but um, I think more and more and particularly ethical investors are going to put heat on businesses like this. So I just wouldn't expect them to get the multiples that they used to get. And everyone loves a discount, but there was a quote yesterday as well that said, I think he was talking about China, but you go to Australia, there's probably like 200 other companies of reasonable size you can invest into. Yeah. yeah. There's more likely more value with less uncertainty in plenty of those. Yeah. How low can you go? Says. Low with an E. Low with an E. Wonderful. Referencing Philip Lowe. Philip Lowe, the RBA governor. Says, I have been researching buying an Australian REIT ETF, but I have noticed that my VAS ETF already has exposure to a lot of REITs. Is there a role for extra exposure to REITs in a portfolio? I think the term is, quote, overweight, question mark. <laughs> overweight would depend on your strategic asset allocation oh, range. Getting complicated. But first, <laughs> tell me what a REIT is. Real Estate Investment Trust. Okay. Uh, and usually have an A in front of it. So, A REIT. Australian. Or, yeah. Or G REIT. Global. Global. Yeah. And essentially, a real estate investment trust is no different to a ASX share yep. or a listed investment. Yep. trust or company you buy a unit in that and you usually own a share of a significant number of properties so goodman group has a lot of amazon warehouses for example uh, and a lot of them also have their own management businesses where they charge fees for renting out property or make developments and make profits themselves uh, so that's a rate and there's probably uh, i think because of the size of property in australia there's quite a few i think it's maybe eight percent invest just completely off the top of my head yeah, in would, REITs. Yeah, I, can't, I don't know the number off the top of my head, but, but there'll be exposure, fair bit of exposure. But the na the sector's narrow. Yeah. So if you look at the VAP, which would be the equivalent Vanguard of property REIT. ETF. Yeah, that'd yeah. be like I'd say forty percent in three or four stocks. I think, Highly. Yeah, I'll get it up now while we talk. Yeah. But yeah, that's yeah, that's that's a good point. Is people use that, and I use that for property securities exposure. So yeah. VAS being the Australian ASX 300, so top 300 shares. VAP, VAP being the Property Securities Index. So this is just investing in REITs and property developers. It can be businesses that are exposed to property. Um, and I'm just bringing up... So Goodman Group is uh, 
Goodman Group is the biggest holding. Uh, it's an industrial route with 25.9%. Centre Group, which is the owner of the properties behind Westfield in Australia. Yeah. Just an Australian ones. Uh, 12%. Stockland, 7 Dexas, 7 GPT, 7 Not the one we're just talking about. Mervac, 7 uh, So these are like, it's a lot of exposure to these businesses. Now, if we go to Vanguard and... I'm just going to look at the, maybe the top 10, and I can't see one of these REITs in the top 10, but they are further down the list. Yeah. So is it I think there's, a, there's kind of that question at the beginning uh, about diversification, you know, only investing in the index is where the index isn't perfect. It's good for initial exposure, um, but I don't see, you know, if you've got a lot in VAS and you're just adding a little tactical, so we'd have a always like a 5% allocation to uh, property, Within our strategic allocation, asset allocation at least, would that be just listed property or like like sorry not listed property? Would that be property via funds or would that be like your own residential listed, property? Listed five and okay. not residential. Yeah, so listed property and then there'd be unlisted property as well. They kind of form different parts because listed property is more like a share. Unlisted property is less, much less volatile. Here's another question for you, <laughs> and this is on a different tangent, but I think it's the question that everyone asks: Is does your residential property factor into your strategic asset allocation. So when you think about your entire wealth and your wealth creation journey, if we just look at the the value of assets, so don't think about like objectives and kids and all that stuff, just the portfolio, do you include the value of the house? No. Why? We kind of separate broadly lifestyle and investment assets. Okay. So and a house, a home isn't a lifestyle asset. When we're home is... Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Is a lifestyle. That's okay. That's where you live your life. Yep. <laughs> uh, we do. So I don't investment level. No, but you'd find why and why you do that because it's very difficult to get exposure to the residential property sector. You could say the banks are exposed to residential property, but not in the same way. Uh, so you don't really have any property exposure available to most people for residential. Uh, and then more broadly, we would look strategically and say. There's potentially value in your house if you downsized in the future, and we'll give that consideration within our investment strategy. Okay. But your, I mean, most uh, property, I think most you'd never see many advisors putting twenty to thirty percent in property, commercial, or other within a broader portfolio or within an asset allocation. Anyway. Mm. Okay. Um, for my not answer. No, for my part, no, that's right. I, for my part, I would say that um, you could use the VAP ETF. So the the I would use that that ETF uh, rather than buy individual REITs myself, yeah. unless I unless it was a real dislocation. Yeah. So unless the REIT itself was exhibiting something that I thought was this is clearly undervalued, but for the most part, I I don't know because I think you put REITs in your growth alternatives. You don't put them in the the growth def the defensive alternatives bucket, do you? It's a growth asset in the alternatives bucket. Yep. And that's important. The way Remember how we break down portfolios into four quadrants? You've got the growth, the growth alternatives, which look like shares and kind of behave in a similar way, but tend to do something different at different times. Yep. Defensive alternatives and just pure defensive like bonds and cash. But there's the reason that we would put them in growth alternatives is because when they're on the stock exchange and they're listed, the REITs have a higher correlation to the stocks part of your portfolio. Definitely. 
but so that means that they will move in the same direction at the same time, even though they're not supposed to yeah. theoretically. Maybe a little bit less, but Maybe still a little bit less. I think similar the correlation volatility. was like zero point seven something. So still memory. quite high. Yeah. Still quite high. Um, so yeah, you, you're going to get that, I guess, exposure. I would say you can have a very small amount of VAP. I wouldn't do too much. And then the other stuff is tactical. Yeah. And we tend to, given the concentration, and I was looking at the allocation before, there's like 27% each in industrial and retail. Yeah. When you buy VAP, are they the sectors you want to be exposed to right now? Yeah. So you, you can, there's, there's enough quality options. So we look at charter halls, long way or REIT, which mm. would be like service stations and logistics work facilities or vicinity, which are in Chadston. Yeah. And, and you can be very, you know, pick the eyes out of the sectors that you think BWP a better position at any time. Bunnings. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If you spend all your money in weekends at Bunnings, well, yeah. <laughs> might as well, as well buy the REIT that owns the property. Yeah. <laughs> but that depends on your interest and your you know willingness, and that's obviously higher risk than buying a diversified ETF. Yeah. Uh, how do I pronounce this next one? <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's not. WS. WS. Mr. Stroker <laughs> writes in and says, Hey, lads, I love the potty. Given your focus on ETFs, I thought I'd mention an alternative strategy for consideration. The STW ETF is the only ASX-listed ETF with ETO derivatives over the underlying ETF. I run an option income strategy which includes selling cash covered puts and covered calls over STW to enhance the yield of the underlying ETF by collecting both dividends and option premium. Can We're going to have to explain a lot of this. Yeah, can you explain that? <laughs> I'll, I'll explain it soon. The options You're the analyst. Are, are quarterly expiries, so it's relatively passive strategy in terms of trade frequency and is a great way to enhance the yield of an index tracking ETF. I know most people view options as risky or speculative, but when used sensibly, they can be a great tool for investors looking to enhance the income from a portfolio. Interested to hear your thoughts. Over to you, Owen. <laughs> Over to me. So this is a actually this is actually quite a vanilla strategy when it comes to options. It's similar to a couple of products that came out recently, like the yeah. JP Morgan product. Yeah, the yield products, like the covered calls. Um, Talaria does something similar. Buy right strategies, like all of these. So basically, yeah. what happens is you, if you own the ETF, you can just sit and let your ETF grow or you can write options over the top, meaning options being contracts to sell in the future um, or, you know, you can buy options as well. But the, the idea is that by writing these options, you can collect some sort of premium from the, the other party who buys that option that you write. And I won't bore you with too much of the details, but basically what happens is they try to enhance the yield or the return that they get in a flat market typically. Yep. So in a market like now, what happens is they're using an option strategy to generate very small amounts of income, expecting that the ETF is not going to go up or down too far. Yep. And if it does go up or down too far, their option strikes and they may be forced to sell the ETF to, to pay for that option. Uh, this is quite common, but there are ETFs that do this automatically. Yep. So there's a beta shares there's a beta shares ETF that we've spoken about on the show before that does this automatically. Beta shares being the issuer of the A two hundred ETF, they take the A two hundred ETF and do the options over the top for you. So they're trying to earn that option premium, but obviously the fees are higher. There's so much we could talk to about this, but one final thing is typically these funds perform best 
when the market is shaky and flat. Yeah, not overly directional. Yeah. So not heavily up or heavily down. Because if it goes up, then they're going to get called away. Yeah. And if it goes down, well, you're not going to get as much you know, action on your, your vol premiums. So... Um, not for everyone. There are a lot of automated strategies. We just went down a rabbit hole. Yeah. Um, it's, I mean, there's so many different ways to make money in the markets. None of them are guaranteed. None of them work in every condition is probably the lesson here. Yeah. Or, or your lesson, not mine. Yeah, I just I just what I should have said. I'm always worried when someone says relatively passively, but you're buying and selling options every quarter, it seems. Yeah, that's pretty... Opposite I, of passive, but... Yeah. Um, I can take that point, though. Like, I, I can take that point. This is a more com- much more common strategy in the United States. Why? Because you have very low income anyway, and you have a very deep options market. Yeah. Whereas here in Australia, the options market's not that deep. And you're boosting a 6% income. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. And it's already fully franked. So if you're riding quarterly, you got to make sure you're getting your fully franked divvies. Yeah. And you might not be. So um, take all that into account. Good question though, because there are multiple ways to uh, to make an income. I don't use these strategies in my portfolio. If I did, I'd do it in a tactical way in when I expect the market to be flat. Okay, not that I really predict those types of things. Drew, next question comes from Lurking Turkey. But then Lurking Turkey came back and submitted another question. And so I'll just jump straight to this. <laughs> Should be more succinct. Oh, you're going to do the second version. I'll do the second version. Okay, so Lurking Turkey submitted a question, then came back to the type form and put this in. Hi, I submitted a similar but longer question earlier today. Should have been more succinct. Hopefully the second take is better. Is it reasonable to expect that financial advisors should outperform purely passive strategies for the same strategic asset allocation? I've recently been testing this with nearly 15 years worth of data from my own advisor managed investment portfolio. The F1s. Oh yeah, wow. Is it? Or is it planes? Maybe it's planes. Sorry. We'll go again. (laughs) Okay, here we go. And this is the question, is it reasonable to expect that financial advisors should outperform purely passive strategies for the same strategic asset allocation? I've recently been testing this with nearly 15 years worth of data from my own financial, uh, from my own advisor managed investment portfolio and concluded the adage about fund managers rarely being able to beat the market also applies to advisors. In my case, I would have been better off if the advisors had simply invested my money in the Vanguard diversified portfolio that aligned with my objectives. Holistic advice covers many valuable topics, but should investment selection be one of them if purely passive strategies deliver better outcomes? This is a hard-hitting question, Drew. stitch up? (laughs) From Lurking Turkey. Drew, over to you, the financial planner in the room. Difficult question. But a typical one. And it's like the, uh, we just got a, a question from a client today that referred to the SPIVA data, so S&Ps and, and analytical data that shows 83% of active managers underperform the index over the long term. Yep. Um, there's plenty of questions you could, my, uh, my least favorite word, unpack on that, <laughs> but we won't talk about that one. Well, uh, unpack I think, or unpack? Yeah, <laughs> we won't unpack that one. Okay. I hate that word. Bring sorry. that into the conversation yeah. <laughs> next week, dear listener. <laughs> uh, I think the, the, the challenge or the issue here is analyzing historical performance through a single concept or a single figure you're only analyzing the performance of one option versus another and what people forget about particularly when they're going into retirement is that it's fine to see returns and markets going up but who's measuring the experience during that period and the volatility that occurred during that period at the same time and we've found you know solely passive approach at various times is more likely to result in bad decisions being made 
if you held a passive approach in GFC, you were down something like, I think, close to 50% at the lowest point. Are you a, a, a plenty of active, active or a blend or asset allocation? And active management isn't just passive versus active. Active management can be on your strategic, on your asset allocation level as well. So just being mm. more diversified. Um, I mean, any decision is an active decision technically, but that's another, that's another <laughs> issue to unpack. <laughs> we'll be doing a lot of unpacking next week on the Australian Investors Podcast. Uh, so the the what we're very focused on is the ride in retirement and how to make sure our clients make the best decisions at the most critical times. Uh, and passive investing alone isn't always the perfect outcome of that. Uh, and we kind of spoke about it before. Not every passive strategy ha- is as diversified as it should be. They have biases. So the S&P 500, the NASDAQ, for instance, mm. down 30% because it was heavily exposed to growth and technology. Mm. If that, I probably like the first version of this question, not the second. <laughs> that talked about the other value of an advisor, which was this is solely on performance and risk. Yeah. So there are many other reasons to see a financial planner, like complexity around retirement, uh, your business assets, intergenerational wealth transfer, um, tax superannuation, issues, superannuation um, budgeting, psychological changes support. of situation, yeah. buying, selling houses. Yeah. Downsizing, aged care, estate planning. Yeah, all this. (laughs) The list goes on and on and on. Um, But as for investment selection, well, you could have one of two ways. I think one of the things that really struck me, because I thought similarly for a while, but one of the things that struck me, which was really uh, hard hitting during COVID, was if you just look at the simple kind of index fund model, uh, particularly the diversified ETFs, they were so exposed to interest rates going up, it wasn't funny. Yeah. Like it it was almost like unbelievable that no one, say, for example, at Vanguard, where the diversified funds that we, we're talking about in this thing are, couldn't just be like, listen, guys, it's crazy. Interest rates can only go one direction. Yeah. So we should probably try and help our clients here, but they couldn't. It's just passive. That's yeah. the problem. Yeah. So investors, you can see that in the numbers, really... Um, got hurt by being in these bonds that um, an advisor could have deflected through portfolio construction. Uh, That's just one example. Um, Obviously, the more decisions you make, the more risk there is of making an incorrect decision. And so what I found with a lot of, um, I I would say philosophically with financial advisors, what I prefer is them to do less um, and have that strategic asset allocation stand the test of time so it's more rebalancing and less about this that or the other each and every year and i'd also one thing i'd probably highlight which is getting more granular and specific mm. is that the last 15 years has been unprecedented i hate that word too we're going to unpack this on un- this problem with unprecedented yeah <laughs> most <laughs> over two of the most overused words in finance uh but 15 years <laughs> of returns have occurred over a period in which interest rates have fallen every year for that entire period. So you you refer to bonds yeah. and long duration. Long yeah. duration benefits from falling interest rates. So a lot of the driver of that return has been falling interest rates, increasing the value of every asset. And you saw in 2022, I think if you look at the numbers for active versus passive in 2022, significantly higher portion of active managers outperformed passive in 2022 when volatility increased. What are you saying? Property doesn't always go up? Hundred percent. It doesn't always. You mean go stocks up. don't always go up. No, they don't. And there's a lot of hard lessons. True. 
I'm sorry being a nerd. <laughs> you can go back to the 2000 and you can see what happens. Like, for example, um, the S&P 500 went flat for 10 years. Yeah. Um, 1970s. Yeah. Nikkei was flat for 30 years. Yeah. It happens. And then interest, like this change in paradigm when interest rates aren't falling and deflation isn't occurring forever could mean something completely different for, for markets. But we personally think it's a blend. Yeah, absolutely. Pick the best of both. Why would you just go all in one? You could. I would say if I had to go all in one, I'd probably go for my own money. I'd probably stick with a passive. If I ha- if you force me, you can only be active or only be passive. I'd probably, because I tend to tilt more for that for my core. Yeah. But I don't have to make that choice. I yep. can literally, you and I literally do anything we want. Um, and so that's a good question. Uh, there's another question here from Warren Buffett. Uh, the actual Warren Buffett who writes in and says, I'm currently studying in the US and renting here. I'm an Australian and I've inherited about $400,000. I really don't have an exact goal of what I want to achieve from my investments, but I was writing in to ask for advice. Well, we can't give you advice, Warren, um, through the podcast, but you should speak to a financial planner because inheriting that type of money is, in my opinion, enough to justify seeing a financial planner. So go and see one. Um, Because... Decisions that you make with that money uh, is is going to be profound in terms of good advice will pay for itself many times over. Um, could it, set you up for yeah long period of time. Absolutely yeah. good, and especially while you're studying. Um, I just hope that they said they're studying. Hope they're not uh, you know twenty years old and uh, <laughs> at a frat party. And, <laughs> hey guys, just inherited four hundred grand. So I'm just going to go. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah, that's that's personal that's, advice. That's where you need to get. Yeah. That's where you need to get uh, some proper advice. There's, I mean, the steps always there would be: what are your objectives in the next three to four years? Yeah. Like, are you, do you need to buy something? Do you have debt? Do you, do you, you have all house? these things you need? Should be worried about. So, yeah, that's what a good advisor should ask. Yep. Good guidance. So we've got a couple more questions here. Uh, we might be a bit quicker with these ones, Drew. So we've got Vagabond says, hoping. Oh, hey, Jens. Thanks for the ex- excellent podcastery. Hoping you can help explain how average weighted maturity in bond ETFs work. It seems like the bonds inside ETFs never reach maturity. Is this right? How can this be? It's got me puzzled. Do they do they have somewhere to go? How secure is it holding forever immature bonds? Thanks. Yeah, so basically a bond ETF just rolls over yeah. um, and you just get more bonds. It, constantly it, buying, constantly yeah. being redeemed, yeah. being bought back. Yep. Uh, and this is why uh, the, the analogy is like a snake when it eats something and like passes through, like the big bulky thing passes through the snake. This is kind of like... <laughs> High interest rates pass through the bond, uh, bond portfolio, snake. bond snake over time. Um, so, like the ETF itself is constantly looking for new ETFs, uh, sorry, new bonds to add to it. Yeah. But sometimes there will be high interest rates, and sometimes there'll be low interest rates. Yeah. And that's why you're starting to see some of the bond ETFs slowly start to increase the yield. Like the coupon payments look like they're going up, and their interest rates are adjusting. Um, that's that just is how it is. So that's why bond ETFs will start to look more appealing. Definitely. And especially if interest rates fall. It's going to happen. You get the two-pronged effect. So um, that's now the time to be maybe readjusting a portfolio. So another case for active management at the portfolio level. And you've probably seen uh, governments and a lot of companies issued longer and longer dated bonds in the last few years when interest rates were incredibly low levels. So yeah. there's like a 100-year bond around. Yeah. I think Apple has like a 50-year bond, 2% or they something They issued like a lot that. in Australia, Apple yeah. as well, actually. Yeah. So that's why, and they they will always be spread and these bond ETFs are tracking an index and index is determined by who's issuing the most debt and what terms they're issuing that at. 
Speaking of, I don't know if this is the same person. <laughs> James Bond writes in and says, a recurring theme across a few podcasts I listen to is that Bonds are back. Having never under, never considered the, these as I have only been investing for a few years, I am unsure as to where to start. V-Bond, V-B-N-D, that is, that's the ticker symbol for the ETF, looks like an easy option. But would you recommend looking into buying the bonds themselves? Obviously, we can't give personalized advice. What would the pros and cons be? Typically... In a bond portfolio, it's easier just to buy the ETF. You can buy the bonds themselves. We've spoken about this before on the show, which is you can use exchange-traded bonds. They are like bonds that trade on the ASX and you can buy and sell them. Uh, But for the most part, from a portfolio construction perspective, I personally just use ETFs and it's what I use inside Rascore as well. Um, it's a very high purchase price, like initial yeah. purchase to get direct bonds. And they were always wary of a securitization of bonds as well mm-hmm. because you're essentially turning big ones into little ones. Yeah. And what are the real costs to do with that? And what's the actual liquidity? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, who's setting them up for you? Yeah. Um, that's, there's a lot to think about that. But yeah, so the big, so typically if you go into the bond market, you need a lot of cash to go in there. So they make exchange traded bonds, which are smaller parcel sizes that you can buy and sell. But for the most part, an ETF does the job. I mean, a lot of people aren't looking around at the yields, the coupons, the, the issuer and being like, oh, I wonder if I could exploit this 20 basis points. <laughs> That's a good starting point too. Yeah. You're getting the biggest yeah. issuers in your portfolio quickly. And then if you want to go niche around that, you can. Yeah. And you can go into private debt markets. We have so many chats around our private markets where you've got like senior secured loans, you've got private yeah. credit. There's so many other things. Corporate bonds, hybrids. Or if you're worried about increasing interest rates, then- Floating rate? Yeah, you might look active. Yeah. Um, oh, active, yeah. Active is, um, it's a very fair point over the last few years. Active in the bond land has tended to perform pretty well. Yeah. So two more questions to go. Uh, Howard Marks. So we've had James Bond, Howard Marks. We've had uh, Lurking Turkey and, of course, Warren Buffett, who you may know. So Howard Marks, who is a regular listener of the show, says, I suffer from loss aversion bias and I'm fighting the urge to sell my stocks and switch to safer asset classes as we transition from a decade of low rates. However, I'm concerned of the albeit likely chance of a recession. Do I bite the bullet and realize losses on individual stocks in my satellite portfolio I was going to hodl as part of my long-term trend conviction or delete the brokerage app and ignore the red for a while? So do I sell my stocks that are down and reset? Yeah, I think it's a difficult decision and uh, it will be driven by what it your depends. objective... I'm trying to get around that. Let's <laughs> unpack it for you. It'll be driven by what your objective is. So if if it's just for the sake of feeling more comfortable, then you probably don't want to be selling your growth assets that have gone down to buy yeah. fixed income assets that are probably higher than they were. So just on a broad base, you want to avoid that emotional decision. If it is a true change in your situation and you're more focused on generating low-risk income, then it kind of makes sense. But we, I've got a question from a client I'm answering tonight, I think, which is talking about the the giving up on the you know a couple of companies that have lost them a significant amount of money. Mm. But the issue we've seen with 15, 20 years experience is that a lot of companies that look cheap never have the catalyst to come back and they essentially just sit there forever. And there's an opportunity cost of not buying or not switching into those other assets because you're afraid of locking in that, that, that loss. Whereas it, if you're at least allocating that money to a company that has better growth opportunities, then you should have some hope in recouping mm. what you've lost. Mm. I like it. Um, <laughs> as I was, you were saying that, I was just picturing Zip in my head. <laughs> Never recommended. 
this is yeah we have to make this clear because i i did listen back to the episode last week which i don't normally do i just want to make it clear zip is in drew's portfolio Personal, not in the client portfolio it is not client money it is there it's that that's completely separate um but zip did come out with an announcement today it's share price down much like my uh dubber uh and i would agree there's an opportunity cost and every dollar counts uh yeah. but a lot of people tend to have this awakening when prices are down. Yeah. And this is... So, there is some theory around rebalancing. Re, I want to be clear. Rebalancing a portfolio back into the original strategy during a crisis is the most effective time Super to value. do it. That's what we... That's what a financial advisor... to do. Yeah. Always adds value. But that's, hot, that's predicated on the idea that you have the strategy in the first place. So, if you've come into this and you've thought, well... Okay, all these other stocks, I'm going to reset, I'm going to do this. But if this isn't something that you've truly, really well thought out, maybe you need to think about that. Write it down, uh, speak to advisor, so on and so forth. I would say, though, that what we tend to see, what I tend to see at this time of the market, when stocks, growth stocks have performed poorly, people have probably put too much of their portfolio into them, is people do make the switch. They kind of wash out and they go to more diversified portfolios. They finally take their strategic asset allocation seriously. They look for simpler ways to invest. And I think that's only positive. So if that is the catalyst and it's something that you truly want to stick with for the long term, you may as well consider it now um, with the help of an advisor. So that's great. Um, And we all have stocks that go down. So uh, we finance people that are a bit more fancy than me would say it's called idiosyncratic risk. This is the risk that an individual stock falls and there's a whole reason for that. You'd want to find out why the stocks have fallen if you're you're going to go down that path. Okay, so we'll end this Q&A segment with this final question, which is we we, we started strong and I think we're going to end strong, which is rask me once, shame on Drew. Motley full, email me twice, (laughs) shame on me. Do you... Do you know of any websites or applications that can combine ETFs to summarize the accumulative exposures to each company? Drew. I don't. But one of the best things about ETFs is you can actually download every single individual holding in a CSV file that you could then, I assume, run a code if you knew how to do that on Excel and identify the allocations. You know what really annoys me about that? Because I've tried to do this at scale for our best ETFs website. Those are tough. These are touchy. Some of the ETF providers use a different data source. So they'll do things, they'll use a different name of the company versus the other source, or they uh, won't put the ticker symbol GPT. in the right spot, or yeah. they'll do .ax instead of ASX. And it just does my head in because then you can't run a VLOOKUP. Oh, and you have match. to do actual work. You can't, yeah, you actually, you actually have to go through the <laughs> list of companies. So there is a website called ETF Tracker by Mark. Um, so ETF Tracker is a website in Australia. Go and check it out. Uh, but you can also use Morningstar's uh, service. I had Mark LaMonica on the show recently. There's a link in the show notes to that episode where you got it for basically half price, I think. Um, but you can use that tool and it kind of looks through the portfolio. It doesn't tell you by security, but it tells you by sector and weight and all that. Um, and you can also, uh, on some brokerage accounts, they'll show you the top 10 holdings. And there's a Vanguard fund compare thing, which does overlap. Um, but mo- the best, the best tool for most of us, for the, for the most of us, you know, battlers out there is the Morningstar tool, the Morningstar investor 
account, you can get one on Morningstar.com and you can plug in the ETFs and it will show you overlap uh, and style and that sort of stuff. Like if yeah. do you have too many high quality stocks or small caps, too or... many small caps or whatever. So that's probably the best way to look at it. Uh, but it's 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 emerging. That sort of stuff is coming. Okay, Drew. All that's left for to, to do is just to pick. Oh no, there's the, one more thing. The, oh, we got your joke. Yes. Do you have a joke? Is that what you're I looking up to? Do have now? a joke? Yeah, I like how you do this on the fly. But we've got to pick the questioner or questioners with the best name. Now you seem to have very strong conviction in the first questioner, which was I have two sons, both boys. Yeah, maybe not. I changed my mind on that one. Okay. I actually like the the reference to was it the George Bush speech? Ask me once. Shame on Drew. Have you heard that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. George W. Bush. Yeah. George Bush. Sorry, George. <laughs> So, if you asked the question, if you were the questioner, rask me once, shame on Drew. Molly Fool, email me twice, <laughs> shame on me. You are the winner of this week's uh, grand prize, which is the Value Investor Program. It's $499 course on Rask Education. If you get in quick, actually, you will be able to take part in an upcoming two-hour valuation webinar that I'm putting on. I think it's Monday night. So, email me this weekend if you can, and you'll be on the list and get an invite to that. Drew. Take us away. Fly us off into the distance. We didn't even talk about interest rates, but that'll be back next we week. Know, we know. Give us a give us a fantastic dad joke, would you mind? Uh, just because I went to lunch today. Okay. Left the office. Uh, waitress, how did you find your steak, sir? Guest, I just looked next to the potatoes and there it was. <laughs> well, I don't have claps. I, I, one of these buttons might be claps. Let's try this one. Oh, no, that's better. That's better. That's much better. That's better. That's much better. That's a stitch up. What's, you the, what's the other one? Oh, no, that's drums. We can't. Okay, I've got to stop this. Okay, too many buttons for one man. Um, Drew, that was a great joke. If you want to get in, t- in contact with Drew Meredith from Waddle Partners, Jamie or Roshana or anyone in the team, Renato, you can head to uh, waddlepartners.com.au. But there's also a big fat link in your podcast player that says financial planning. Click that link and it will take you through to a, a form that you can fill out and uh, you get in contact with the guys. I'm Owen Rask. You can find me on Twitter. Uh, you can join Rascor, which is our membership service too for ETF research and all the like. Uh, Drew, as always, thanks for joining me. Good to see you. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Before you go, I wanted to share some things with you. Specifically, I wanted to tell you about the 10 ways that Rask could help you in 2024. As many of you know, Rask has grown to become one of the biggest investing and finance platforms in Australia. Across our podcasts, our websites, our memberships, and so on, we now engage around 200,000 Aussies which considering we started in a humble lounge room on a Kmart desk, one of those old fake white wooden ones, I'm pretty ecstatic about where we are six years later. As part of becoming one of Australia's biggest platforms for wealth creation and preservation, we now have a very special position in the country in that we can bring you some of the best, most thoughtful, expert-driven ways to protect and grow your wealth. And I'm going to share some of those with you now. I've got 10 ways that we can potentially help you or match you with someone who can. The first thing that I want to tell you about is the biggest step we've ever taken at Rask, which is the launch of our Rask Invest platform. This is a platform that lets our team, led by me, invest for you 
primarily through low-cost, diversified ETFs. We'll have three strategies at launch, and every investor who comes through can pick one of the three strategies being a balanced strategy, a growth strategy, and a high-growth strategy. The balanced strategy focuses on passive income, and the high-growth strategy focuses on longer-term compounding. You will find a link in your podcast player to register your interest. We will be taking off soon. Number two, if you prefer to DIY your investing, you can join me and over 4,000 members inside Rascore. That's our full ETF and ASX share research membership community. You can join now and you'll get updated ETF portfolio recommendations every quarter, as well as ongoing ASX and global stock research. Every single month, we call them the all-star stocks. You get that alongside the ETF portfolios, as well as other members-only content. It's called Rascore. Number three, our first ever partnership with a business other than our own was a business by the name of Blusk, which has since become Flint Group. Flint Group is led by Chris Bates and Christian Stevens, two of Australia's most highly regarded mortgage brokers. Already over 200 RAS community members have begun the RASC plus Flint Group mortgage broking process. You can click the link in your podcast player if you're refinancing, investing, a first home buyer, or whatever. You've probably heard Chris on the show many times. Number four, you can connect with our most trusted financial advisors. Whether you're 25 years old, just graduated uni and looking to set yourself up or approaching or in retirement and you've got that nest egg you want to protect and generate a passive income from, you can get in contact with our trusted panel of financial advisors. You can find the link in your podcast player. It's there each and every week. Just click the thing that says financial planning. Number five, if you want specialist insurance advice, as Warren Buffett said, rule number one is don't lose money. And rule number two is don't forget rule number one. Insurance is vitally important, especially when it comes to your number one asset, you. Whether you're a single income household or a couple and you just want to protect what would happen if. You want to protect your family if something goes wrong. You want to protect your spouse if you lose your job. You want to protect yourself if you hurt yourself on the weekend at footy. Insurance is a way to do that. And I think the best way to do insurance is through a financial planner. And there's a few reasons for that. But one of them is sometimes some insurers will only work with financial advisors, but they can also be your companion as you go through the sometimes daunting process of getting insurance done properly. Sometimes you might not even know, but you're not even covered, even though you think you are. So get the right advice. You'll find a link in the show notes to check that out. Number six, buying property. If you're like me and you're thinking of buying property in the next 12 months, or maybe you've already invested and you're looking to downsize, getting the right advice and being able to build wealth through property is a proven strategy. It might be one of the most contentious, but I think that we have one of Australia's best property coaches in our ranks. That is Pete Wargent. Pete is the host of the now super popular Australian property podcast by Rask, and he's also my analyst team's macro consultant. So if you're a member of Rascor, you will have seen Pete's name around the traps. He's a property coach and buyer's agent, and he works with a select number of people each and every year. Just a note on this. This is not a commercial thing with Pete. Pete just has great services, so we offer them to the community. And when he fills up, he fills up. 
You can find out more about Pete's coaching in the show notes. Next up, tracking your portfolio for tax. I think you are because I think you have to. So, we've partnered with Nevexa to help you manage your share and ETF reporting, whether it's tax or performance. All Rask users get 20% off an annual plan with Nevexa. You can sync your portfolio with Nevexa's software and it automatically tracks your dividends, your capital gains tax, and more. Again, not a commercial partnership. We don't make anything from working with Nevexa, but they do create some great tools which the Rask community uses each and every day. Number eight, want to run your own business? Maybe you already do. If you want more profit, but less stress, less time consumed, and less energy lost, get in contact. We have a partner business called Inflection. The Inflection Accelerator Program is a complete online course that helps you and a community of members engage and follow a proven strategy for growing your business. I'm grateful to be one of the coaches inside the Accelerator program, helping business owners right across Australia. You can find more following the link in your podcast player. It's the one that says coaching. Number nine, if you haven't already checked it out, join over 20,000 other people who tune into the Rask YouTube channel. It is completely free and you get notified when we go live and when we publish podcast episodes. There is a podcast on the Rask network each and every day, as well as bite-sized material that's less than 60 seconds or those really punchy tutorials and webinars that are just 15 minutes that take you through a really exciting topic, whether it's how to buy a property, whether it's how to pick a dividend ETF. Some of our most popular content actually just explains things like, what the heck is franking credits and how do I calculate if I've got some? That's on our YouTube channel. Number 10, if you want to be a better investor, a saver, a better partner with money, or just understand your own relationship with money, you can do that all of that by going to the Rask Education website and taking a free course. We've enrolled over 26,000 students at the time of this recording, and we're on a mission to get to 100,000 in the next few years. Rask Education is our mostly free education platform covering everything from budgeting and automation to the probably, I would say, the best value investing program in the country. So whether you're a value investor an intermediate investor, you want to know how to value Woolworth shares, or you simply just want to understand what ethical investing is or buy your first property and what actually happens on settlement day, head to the Rask Education website and enroll in something today. It is free and it supports us because then I can come on here next month and I can say we've got 27,000 and hopefully we reach critical mass where we can help more Australians manage their money better. Thank you for listening to this long-winded ad If you want to get in contact with me, you know where to go. There's a link in your show notes. Basically, these 10 services, even though some of them we don't make any money from, support Rask and allow us to produce these podcasts, attract the biggest and best guests from Australia and around the world, and bring them to you to answer your questions. Thank you for being part of the Rask Network, and thank you for your ongoing support. Bye for now.